0: In the talk with you this evening, I would like to speak about uh, meditation, mindfulness, and some of the values and immense usefulnesses which uh, accompany the process of meditation, mindfulness. and. Um, Also, some of the other factors which might go into the general label area of uh, concerns or reflections upon. (coughs) Uh, Sometimes uh, out in the dining hall, um, you may have um, had a, a cup of tea out there and you have uh, seen this uh, um, box of tea bags from this company called Solaco, which says uh, I noticed, uh, incidentally, on the cover of the box that it's for um, hotels, restaurants, and institutions. <laughs> <laughs> and after t- tasting the tea. I thought to myself, it's not for retreat centers. And one of the um, little pieces, little pearls of wisdom, (laughs) which are lingering off the edge of the tea bag, I noticed was something along the lines, it's better to worship at shrines and to worship oneself or something of that nature and it occurred to me that perhaps when the Buddha himself began giving his teachings we are told in the old texts there was this uh, night of uh, realization and awakening and an infinite number of discoveries which occurred to him about the situation of humanity and the the struggles of uh, human existence and the the way to live with uh, wisdom and to live with a genuine sense of and discovery of an emancipated and free way of life. And it must have been then and still it is to some degree now fairly radical really to take the emphasis of uh, uh, beliefs in something or of faith in something which is not immediately tangible and available to us and say that spiritual life, spiritual teachings known as Dharma in the East um, has as one of its pillars mindfulness rather than faith. And that itself must have generated waves. It must have generated waves when there was just no interest at all to establish shrines, to have any kind of um, temple, uh, monastery, in any conventional sense of what monastery is. And that in for first decades of the teachings, the men and women who participated in the teachings weren't ordained in the sense that we have come to know now, but simply they were living uh, homeless lives and lives in which the exploration of the teachings was the central feature of their life in a homeless way. And part of that... Uh, Way of life, of of course, included much contact and connection with people for these explorations, for meditations, and with the thread of mindfulness and conscious human existence being the, uh, the spark, the reason to be for spiritual life. It would appear in the, the course, the passage of time, that it became more organised. The trappings of religion became much more familiar and available, and some believe gave some support to the teachings, like as the analogy is sometimes used, like the pod is given to the peas. And in this, we come into a situation. Here we look at what does mindfulness mean? What does, it, what does it mean for me? What's my relationship to a, a meditative and the mindful world? And in the place of an application of mindfulness, we see that when we look at the totality of our day, we might say to ourselves and say to each other, in my mindfulnesses, there are m- periods of time when I seem to be in a consecutive way more mindful than other periods and if and if I give my attention and have some value for something the very giving of value for something means that I'll have to be measuring it I'll have to as it were accept the fact that the very uh, interest the very placing of a a mental component in life, or any component in life, as an important element of life, that the consequences which I have to deal with, and that I have to accommodate, is that I'll have thoughts about that, I'll introduce the activities of thinking in relationship to that, and it would be a measurement. So sometimes a person prior to coming here has barely had a thought about being mindfulness. Barely had a thought about um, being receptive, being attentive from one moment to the next. And sometimes the only times that that thought has arisen in an act of carelessness. One has forgotten something, one has dropped something and one has said to oneself as one's parents said to one every day of one's existence, you know, you know, why can't you be more mindful, you know, why are you so careless or whatever. And then so the relationship of mindfulness is to the action of carelessness. But in the course of a situation like here, the significance of mindfulness takes on a whole new dimension. And it becomes, it becomes, it becomes something for us which we begin to value. Therefore, I say, we invite the consequences of giving it value. What we also notice with the giving of value to mindfulness, and we might say mindfulness with the form, slow walking, sitting in here, we call meditation. That mindfulness with the form, or mindfulness without the form, also has not only the succession of moments which go along with it, but also the certain qualities of mindfulness or meditation which accompany it as well. So sometimes the description which we give to ourselves and others with all of this is, my mindfulness, my meditation is going deeper, or it's not going very deep or it's been deeper than it's ever been before and there's a kind of gradation that takes place of mindfulness from the range of perceptions what we call from shallow to deep, from deep to shallow. Sometimes we'll say to ourselves, to another, I was going deep in my meditation therefore that means I was going deep in my mindfulness with the form I was going deep in my meditation and then I touched this and whatever this was as we're hearing today fear anger uh, some other emotion I touched something deep inside me and in the touching that was very deep down and that came up and it came out and I had to face it I had to deal with it I had to work with it or sometimes it generates how do I work with this how do I work with this which I've touched so deep and has come up? And sometimes in the thought about what we tend to forget, or te- in a way of thinking, interpreting, we seem to imagine that what is deep is deep down there, separate from the mindfulness of it, separate from being conscious of it, and then that deep thing comes up to consciousness. It comes up into my mindfulness. And we talk this way, we repeat this way, we imagine this way, we believe this way. But it's almost as though it comes from some dark, horrible... uh, pits (laughs) pits there, <laughs> and then like a Patriot missile <laughs> shoots up in, and destroys the purity of one's meditation. <laughs> and this view this interpretation of events becomes the way that we talk, the conclusion that which comes, whether that's an inner something which has come up or whatever or an outer event, the conclusion which is easily drawn and one a concept which is in frequent use is one then describes self, one describes oneself as the victim. So the ego, the self, in the face of something painful and unwanted which arrives, as it were, arrives to it, sees, experiences that event and then upon the event, that means the collision with consciousness, shall we call it, the ego takes upon its role, its identity and it refers to itself as the victim and the other whatever as being oppressed, oppressed by my own stuff, oppressed by somebody else. So how we experience, and the conclusions itself draw from its experience, the identity which is formed, what's going to be the outcome of it? What's going to be the outcome if, we describe ourselves in, in this case, victim terms. What's what's the the residue of impression that's left with us and all the understandable, conventionally, justification for it? Self puts itself in this spot. What can happen is that in the frequency of giving this label to self what may have been some very painful, tragic and un- utterly unnecessary situation which befell one in life. With the identification with I as the victim, it means that lesser events, smaller events, less impactful circumstances in one life Easily, through identification, become the justification to use the same language, uh, uh, an unkind word, a, a, a somebody's insensitivity, a a reaction, a forgetfulness, or whatever, or some um, um, difficult event occurring inside, and the ego has taken upon this identity, assumed that this role is the truth. It's utterly impersonal because it keeps carrying itself and it only needs a little reminder of unexpected pain for the identity to re-emerge. Self is born again in the same role. With very little impacting around, but the rebirth of self in the form of victim can be that lightning quick. In this movement of consciousness with its content, consciousness with uh, depth, and here we're speaking of painful emotional depth, it's very easy to get the idea in the way of interpreting that the depth itself, and in this case painful depth, is distinct from the awareness of it. So the awareness isn't deep and the painfulness is deep. I don't think they're separate from each other. I think there's something distorted that goes on in the perception. And in other words, as far as our experience goes is as far as awareness goes. Experience of events can't go further than the mindfulness that goes with them. How would you know you had an experience? Yet we sometimes mistreat in a way, undermine the consciousness, undermine the mindfulness, undermine the meditation and we, me- we say the depth is in the emotional event but it can't go any further than, than the consciousness or the mindfulness which knows it. Otherwise one wouldn't know what was happening. Sometimes <coughs> in the going, what we call going deep, which we experience or we interpret as a, a t- certain types of sensations to which we attribute this language. Sometimes in the, the going de- it deep, it's not so much the mm, painful experience which takes place, but there's depth which is painless. And sometimes one feels a, a certain depth of the moment, a certain depth of experience, a depth of peace, a depth of quietitude of being, a depth of contentment, a depth of, depth of joy. In the same way, mindfulness is there coexisting with that experience simultaneously for us to know that it's occurring. Therefore, where there's deep meditation, there's deep experience. Where there's deep experience, there's deep meditation. There's deep mindfulness. Are the teachings exclusively concerned, is meditation, is mindfulness, exclusively concerned with going deep? Is that the essential reason to be? so in the time here in the days here when there's some sense of depth when there's that quality of sensation of being settled in uh, appreciative appreciative to be here, steady with being here with whatever is occurring in the relationship to that sometimes we experience as was in the in uh, one of the inquiry periods today too much belief, too much adherence to what is called here and now sometimes here and now that means what we see, hear, smell, taste, touch serves our purpose when sometimes you hear which is best forgotten as quickly as possible, ideas like uh, eternal now, these are just, I think, vague abstract ideas. No proof in them. But what happens sometimes is we begin to imagine, if I can be really here and now, if I can really be here and now, really get here, into the moment then I can never get out of it (laughs) and then I really will be in the, then the new age comes in, Tao of existence. (laughs) And this view sometimes lends itself to pressure and striving and willpower to try to force life to move into life, to force the nature of things which is called here I, me, the human being, to move to get into the nature of things. And that very will, that very determination which goes in the name of meditation, starts off with the idea, the belief, I am not in the here and now. I am not in the moment. And if I'm going to get in the moment, then I've really got to work hard, I've got to strive hard, I've got to force hard, I've got to meditate hard, I've got to sit, 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 and then I'll get into it. The very idea of this It's so deceptive because once one is through meditation in the moment, once one's got into the here and now, then one can be out of it. How would you know you're in it (laughs) if you don't experience being out of it? And how do you know you're out of it if you haven't known the experience of being in it? And this movement, in the name of meditation, in the name of mindfulness, goes on and on, back and forth, with the tendency of the mind at times to say, I want to be in it, and the tendency at the time, when it's not very nice, to say, I want to get out of it. (laughs) Surely it has to tell us something Sometimes in our experience of this extraordinary participation where being nowhere, being nowhere in particular is a lovely understanding Sometimes in this participation of the movement back and forth, as I say, the measurement can be in the course of time, how many moments I am mindful, how many moments I am meditative and therefore the awareness of moments of not being mindful, not being meditative. Or it can be, how deep am I going? How deep is my experience? What am I touching as I go deeper? and I need all the range of the so-called shallow and the superficial and the middle range to have any notion and sense of what it is to go deeper. I couldn't possibly know unless I have all the rest which will tell me. I couldn't possibly know about the succession of moments of being mindful unless I have the experience of the successions of moments of not being mindful. So finally I live in the world and participate in the world where I need everything to reveal everything else. Then comes other concerns about the mindfulness, about the meditative approach. One hears, and it can be very useful, but if not, seen deeply and ruthlessly into, you into may work against us we will hear regularly the, the, f- uh, the value and uh, particularly in facilities like this in meditation centers and especially in uh, the insight meditation tradition the value of watching what is occurring looking at what's going on, S- seeing into. We use the language of the eyes to watching, looking, seeing into. Or sometimes we vary it, I like to vary the languages a little bit and say let's really listen to what's happening. Let's really um, um, touch upon the body language, touch upon what is taking place. Let, uh, one could easily say let, let us taste of something in life. So we can use the language of the sense stores and the language, whatever we use, the most frequent probably is the one, observe, look at. And the observation, the looking at, we look at what is going on, we look at that event, we look at that experience. The very looking is a movement, sometimes with effort, sometimes without. And so we want to look at something, we want to see it come and go. We want to see it change, its rise and fall. We want to see its impersonal character, its impersonal characteristics. We want to see where the unsatisfactoriness is or whatever. Sometimes in that looking, and quite often in that looking, the eye appears. And the eye arises with the looking and the I then transfers itself, almost unknowingly, transfers itself to be identified with the experience. The very observation of, the very looking at, is the invitation to be identified with the experience. And no more proof of it, surely for us, is the experience can fade away and one will be obliged to say, I had this experience. This happened to me, I observed this was going on in my meditation. So the very um, arising of mindfulness seems almost inevitably to bring the eye to look at something and be with it. So let's, if we take an example, We take uh, fear, which is a a common area of uh, concern for people. person says, I've been observing my fear. This fear arose, this happened to me. I'm not quite sure but why I'm experiencing this fear in my life. And it seems to appear in different ways and different times. And I just keep on observing it. I keep on noticing it. I keep on looking at it. But it doesn't seem to to go away, or it fades away, and then it comes back a little later. And then, one looks at the situation, looks at the experience and sees that perhaps, quite a lot of that fear experience was a kind of emotional habit, and that when there was an event which should really be fearful, when that event came, there was, there was no fear there. When sometimes people have fear to speak in the inquiry. A person has fear to be in a small group, to come to a one-to-one, to stay up uh, later at night because one fears to be tired in the morning, or what, uh, all the numerous forms of fear that arise. So there's the fear which is arising. One has observed this fear, one looks at this fear, it seems to diminish a little bit perhaps the intensity of the fear and one was afraid to do something, a common form of fear. When one actually does that event, there still may be some sensations but the thought arises, my fear which I had before I arrived, before I did this, doesn't seem to have any valid- validity to it what I thought I was afraid of, actually I'm feeling reasonably fairly okay about. So the fear and all the unsatisfactoriness, which is the character of fear, is rendered invalid. And, but if we keep getting the idea, if I just observe the fear, that's enough. I don't think just observing a fear is enough. I think it will still, it will fade away in its own, in the conditions of things, but its aliveness, its potency will reappear. It's that therefore, rather than looking at it and therefore I am looking at my fear, we somewhere in the event of that, in the noticing, in the experience of that, you have to realise through the conviction of, e- of experience that this fear, that much of the fears that we have in life are utter human mythology. And the only reason that we believe in fear because there has been some occasions in our life where it appears that the fear was valid before we began. The the nightmare which we thought would happen, happened and we've clung to that, we've taken that uh, on board and we carry it and if we are honest with ourselves, we see that much of our fear when it comes to the situation is really mythology. Therefore, I say, into fear must come conviction that it is unreal. Utterly unreal. It's a state of imagination. With no truth in it, never had any, doesn't, no, and never did have, and never will have. And what has one got for it? One has got the conviction of raw experience to show So it's with our looking into, with the meditations and the mindfulness to notice and to see with ourselves and to take uh, such an interest in this whole process of movement, therefore process of life, that it's the events matter. Of course they, they matter, they matter to Mindfulness, mindfulness makes things matter. And what equally is, what's the relationship to the events? There's the story of our life. Our whole life is in our awareness or our mindfulness of our experiences and the way that we regard them. There's no life outside of that event. Then we begin to take an interest in this in such a way that we see that the mindfulness itself, the construction of mindfulness, the construction of the meditator's outlook, is in fact something which builds up and becomes important for us in the course of time becomes important for us, therefore for self, in the course of time because we've benefited from it, because we've noticed more things about life, because we're interested in life. And, and we've said to ourselves, if there are two choices in life, either living consciously or unconscious living, then I want to live. I'm going to make any choice in life, that surely is the choice, and, is, and can there be any real choice about that so you said I really want to find out what it is to live my life my uh, existence in a conscious way That's, that's what that's what matters making that to matter which is something has a kind of pristine sweetness to that making making that to matter means that in the course of time the mindfulness As something will build up as a mental component. It has to. One is making it to matter. That course of time in making mindfulness build up to be something, as I said at the beginning of the talk, will show periods of the loss of it, the lapse of it, the forgetfulness of it, the neglect of it, And sometimes the mindfulnesses, the meditations, become painful in their absence. I practice, I'm losing my practice. It's falling apart. Can't keep up my meditations. And if a person is spiritually exploring and interested, it seems rough justice that that which was supposed to serve one as a vehicle for the end of suffering, itself becomes suffering. (laughs) It itself becomes the spark for triggering lots of unrest and dissatisfaction. I can't keep it up. It's too hard to keep going. I keep losing it. We wonder, are we in such a bind as human beings between, as it were, the experience, the experiential world and the mindfulness of it, the awareness of it, the consciousness of it, which is the only way we can know that it's going on because we know it's going on. I mean, such a bind that we can suffer because of the experience or suffer because we know that experience, we are observing, we are mindful of it because there's a building which has taken place. What would it be for a life without building? What would it mean that there is no construction at all about an object or experience and there's no no construction of mindfulness? There is no building up of mindfulness Sometimes we say, that would mean that I would have to be very strictly in the here and now. And one has looked at that and seen, that is no solution. To get into the here and now and be right here and now means it's the invitation, as I said earlier, to losing it. So if being in the here and now is not the solution if mindfulness is not the solution because the significance of both get built up where are we left where are we left what can we say The Buddha said, I saw into all of this on his night of awakening, I looked into all of this, and he said, I saw all of these formations fade. I saw the freedom and the liberation in this, he says, this house which had been built and had gone. That the making of something had finished in the realising of something immense. Something which is not of building, not of making something. Something which can never be built up. then there's a kind of natural mindfulness, natural meditation, natural interest, natural reflection, natural participation, natural communication. That's going on in the participatory nature of things. But we're no longer deceived by it any of that. We appreciate that process of events. But we've understood what awakening is. And our life continues in our day-to-day life. With the normal human appreciations of m- being mindful and being conscious, and the meditations and being with each other. There's a kind of uh, reflection of that which is vast. May all beings see into life. May all beings explore. May all beings be awakened.